8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. The Viewpoint with Asraf Gada. We're going through days where there's so much news happening. I mean, following uh, the the issues going on at the um, commission into into state capture, and and Barbara Hogan once again uh, taking to the stage today, and uh, early end because of um, a lack of light, and you think there's no fireworks, and within half an hour, an hour, you find this news that Belusi uh, Kigaba then resigning. And make of it what you will. There's lots of issues to come out of that. Uh, just my quick thought about it is. Uh, there are many people who obviously wanted him to go. Many pe- people feel he absolutely had to go. And I think the general rule is that if he didn't go, he was actually asked to go or else. Okay, But instead of even those who may be detractors of his, for me, and it's it's not a time to gloat, but a time of sadness, because he is a person with, I think, talent um, and could well have been earmarked amongst the younger generation to, to get into the absolute leadership positions of the country. I'm talking presidential material, but somehow things have been sidetracked over the years. And, and he's now got himself into a position where he's from a minister of finance to home affairs minister uh, to being on the outside. Let's call it home alone, maybe. And maybe in a position now, uh, not even an MP. We shall certainly see what that really means. But think about that. Link to all of that is our chat today with uh, our big hitter for the night, who's uh, Faith Abioden, who's... Um, He's got many titles. I certainly met him first as part of the African Leadership Academy, based uh, what sort of just west of Nor- of Randburg. That's as far as I know it. It is a fabulous school of of African youngsters from around the continent, uh, primed to want to lead the continent. So have a chance and do like what I did, go and visit the place. It's really excellent. So he's the uh, director of. International Relations Council at the African Leadership Academy. He's also the executive director of an organization called uh, Future Africa. Uh, Faith, good chatting to you once again, and, and thanks for being our big hitter for the night. Absolute pleasure. Always good to be here with you. Yeah, it certainly has been a while. I'm, I'm going to go straight into, uh, I mean, there's many things we can talk about. Now, you know you were at the at an event this, this weekend. W- w- what is it called? Common Action Forum, yeah? Common Action Forum. Okay. Yes. Um, something I chatted to Tembisa Fakuri about before, right? Just just your one of the issues amongst many that came up is the issue of, you know, popularism or populism. Yeah, just just sense of popularism taking root uh, around the world and maybe a move towards more fascism. What's your understanding in terms of what's the state of not just South African politics, but, but global politics? Yeah, it's definitely tough times for us as a as a global observing group. Um, I think that what led the conversation uh, to come to light this time was this move towards right wing politics across the world and this fact, this sense that it's not getting easier to be a commoner in in the world of politics these days. You've got to take one side or the other. You've got to be either absolutely in favor of anti-everything, mm. anti-immigration, anti-liberalism, uh, anti-religious freedoms, anti-sexual freedoms. That's on the far right. And you've got folks on the far left who are saying, throw the door open to everyone. Welcome the immigrants. Welcome the gender fluid. Welcome the everything. And so trying to take a central position on any of these things becomes quite difficult. And I think the conversation we had this past weekend uh, here in Joburg, which is the fourth in the series from the Common Action Forum, was really about what the future of politics in the world might look like, where you've got 
uh, arise in Brazil now, which has just joined this ranks of, of mm, some of mm, the most mm, mm. far-right you know, political leaders whom you thought will never make a rebound into the world. You thought Donald Trump could never become president. Yeah, you yeah. thought uh, Duterte in, in Indonesia and in Philippines couldn't quite follow through on his brazen attacks on, on his citizens. You thought Brexit could never happen. You thought uh, Victor Orban could not win in Hungary. You thought uh, Italy could not you know, devolve into right-wing politics. And so you're seeing the fact that it's spread now from North America into Europe, into Asia and South America, and you're wondering what's left for the world. Are we actually so, losing a sense absolutely. of decency? So, so here's the pause. So, so you, I like what you said. You thought it would never happen. Yeah. Yet it happened. So yeah. why, why has it happened? And the fact that it's happened in ten regions, and you've just mentioned that, uh, clearly suggests there's a, there's a trend, right? Yeah. Why, why, why is that the case? Human beings are very, very afraid. We've entered into an era of fear, and. It's very easy to sweep people along without a lot of logic behind your arguments if you can terrify them about something. And so Donald Trump becoming president really, really emboldened people in America and across the world to think it's not completely unthinkable to be unreasonable in your politics and still get people to come along mm, with you. Mm, and my fear is that the continent might even devolve into that because it's, it's really terrifying for Africa where we have seen an increasing wave of democratization on the continent. And all of a sudden... The world that we are following after, we are following the American side of politics and the British side of politics, and they've gone complete right. So what happens to us? Who do we follow? Who are role models? So I think it's, it's very concerning that fear tends to drive politics. And our politics has sadly become anti-intellectual. We're no longer having quality debates about one policy proposal for, versus the other. We're just sweeping behind personalities, which is what really bothers me that Half of the global conversation about Trump is less about his politics, but more about his personality, mm -hmm. right? And can we just get back to the issues? Can we get back to economic self-dependency? Can we get back to uh, a global world where we're talking about shared values? But it's becoming quite difficult to stay centered on the real issues because the personalities are taking over uh, politics. And, and that terrifies me about what the future might look like. And for a young person who's perhaps thinking about their role in the public sector, whom do you model your politics after. Okay, pause on that because I want to get an answer from you. Mm. Who, in fact, do you model? Uh, we've got Faith Abiodun for the next uh, 45 minutes up to uh, 9 o'clock. So you can engage with him. He's our big hitter for the night. And the way you engage by calling in 0891104207. That is always first prize. You know that. You have other options too, of course. If you want to send a WhatsApp voice note, um, here's the number 0614. 104107 but let me just warn you the uh the whatsapp voice note maximum 30 seconds if you go beyond that we're going to cut that short we can't have one and a half minutes voice notes unchallenged okay so but that's an option you can also tweet us uh, and if you're tweeting hashtag sfm viewpoint is the important hashtag to use then you can tag me ashraf garda as well as sf major in fact you'll pick up faith's twitter handle as well if you follow my timeline uh too and you have the third option or the fourth option you can also uh, sms us 40938 so what's the question you may want to ask him uh, on a range of issues around leadership and the African continent and that point we spoke about popularism and what that really means and what appears to be a swing globally to the right. Are you concerned about that? What's your viewpoint? The Northwest Provincial Legislature's Committee on Premier, Finance, Economy and Enterprise Development will conduct public hearings on the Division of Revenue Amendment Bill on Thursday, the 15th November 2018 at Mosana Community Hall in Zeres, Mohopa Community Hall in Ventersdorp, Purumu Community Hall and Faubos Luet Community Hall in Madibeng. 
All hearings starts at 10. Call SAFM right now on 0891-104-207. Frank Tabioden with me and you can certainly join me as well and I'll pick out your SMSs or your uh, different ways of engaging with me in just a moment. So he's being our big hitter. He's the Director of International Relations Council that is at the ALA, the African Leadership Academy. And that, as I mentioned earlier on, is based sort of just west of Randberg in the Johannesburg region. He's also Executive Director of Future Africa. In fact, we're going to ask him about all those things. Um, Faith, I, I have to ask you, in the light of all the things you've said, and you said, like, so who then do we follow? Mm. Uh, if there's a trend towards the right, mm. then where, do, where does South Africa fit in on this? We have an election in a year's time. Yeah. South Africa is still, by all indications, an emerging democracy, right? We've got just under 20 years in our belt and thinking about how the country finds its fit. And the ANC was the dominant party and, you know, the beliefs and the promise was very evident and it's going to be beautiful, rainbow country. And after a while, folks begin to think... Do we want to go with uh, single-party politics? Do we want to follow, fall behind the ANC primarily? And folks began to feel uncomfortable because the promise wasn't coming to life quickly enough, and Mandela promised us ABC. And now you've seen this pluralism coming out in politics where you can easily identify with the DA or the EFF or the, or the ANC and a range of other parties behind them. I wouldn't say that South Africa's politics is as confusing as it looks from the outside. It's actually very straightforward. It's, it's a pure democracy at the mm, moment, mm. right? And the question for people is, can you easily differentiate between the policies of either of the leading parties or the underlying parties and the personalities, which is what right-wing politics shifts towards? It takes us away from the issues and being able to differentiate between one approach uh, to economic self-sufficiency, a social contract, mm, uh, political mm, mm. presence, Right now, when you speak about the EFF, it's only in the last one to two years that you can begin to see a sense of what their policy approaches might look like. Right. When you begin to t- speak about land expropriation without compensation, mm-hmm. you're saying, mm-hmm. well, to what end? Right. Is it about the land or is it about an alternate approach to economic self-dependency for all citizens? Right. So you're beginning to see an approach beginning to look like we can have a sense of what an EFF government might look like. Prior to this last two years, it was purely a protest-style approach mm-hmm. to governance mm-hmm. where, again, it's personality-driven, not issues-driven. And it's about you the personality in the even cult. Now. It's still very much the cult of Malema uh, and how his approach to governance might look like. So we know what Comrade Malema looks like. But what might a President Malema look like? What might a President Malema's approach to international affairs look like? How mm-hmm. might he walk around Sadiq? How might he lead South Africa into more prominence around the continent? What might be his approach to trade? So where, where do you think they will end up in 2019? I'm talking about the EFF specifically. I think they will get a bit more of the share of the vote. I think they, they've continued to add you know, a couple more percentage points each election. I think that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, whether or not they're strong enough to topple the ANC's hegemony, I don't know. We, we because, have I mean, a bit watch. more would be rather disappointing. For, for EFF supporters listening today, oh, yeah. if we said they'll, they'll move up maybe three percentage points, I think... They'd be very disappointed. I think they'll get, and the, the trend certainly is that the ANC isn't making itself more popular. The DA isn't making itself more popular. The EFF is making itself certainly popular. And I'm hearing more people saying, I think I can identify a little bit with what they're talking about. I think it makes more sense, which is really where they want to get to, right? You want to convert the centrist who's not really far left mm-hmm. or far right with you. You want to convert someone who's split in the middle. 
and saying, I actually have a sense what they're all about beyond the protests and the Red Berets. I know what they would achieve in governance. I know how they might choose to make South Africa more of a home for those who live in it and make South Africa more welcoming to the rest of the continent. It's still a little bit fuzzy. So if any of the parties, EFF, DA, the Green Party, Ahang, whoever they are, if they will have more of a share of the vote, I think they've got to try to speak more to the issues and be a little bit clear. What is really your approach to the key things that bother the country? Education is top on the mind of people in the country. You know, poverty is top on the mind of people in the country. Land is certainly top on the mind mm -hmm. of people in the country. So people have got to come up with a few policy approaches and say, I think here is how to address education challenge. Here is how to deal with a land issue that's beyond emotions. I mean, the land issue is big, but you've got to get beyond the emotions and actually tell us what is your vision for land distribution. Okay, good point. You know? More more to come, and I'll pick out uh, some of the uh, callers in just a moment. 891 uh, Faith uh, Abiyodin with me, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about, uh, besides uh, the EFF and, and others, uh, just leadership on the African continent as well. Okay, I, I don't I want to lose this as well. Let, let's talk about... So, if the EFF is one thing, you're saying some increases, mm -hmm. but it's more incremental as opposed to yeah. massive gains. Yeah. Uh, then... Does that suggest that, I mean, would you agree this is the, this is, this is the ANC at its weakest? Oh, so yes. if they can't gain when the ANC that is weakest and, and the DA appears to be floundering, right? Yeah. Th then what does this say about, about the EFF? I think the, the, this election is the ANC's to lose to start with because the ANC still has the privilege of history and the privilege of a wide base. Mm -hmm. So it will be a shock to the country if the ANC doesn't retain its presidential leadership, at least at the center. The question is, what does it take or what might it take for any of the also runs to mm. become the main, yeah. you know, the, the big dog? I think while we want politics to be very issues-based, politics is also still very grassroots. It's still very, very, very local. Mm -hmm. And the local, what it has always taken to convert the locals has been a few peanuts. And so if the peanuts begin to come out quickly enough and you begin to appease the absolute locals, you still retain your absolute base. While Johannesburg might vote a little bit differently and, you know, the more educated might stay away from the polls or vote, you know, with a few interests. If you retain the bottom base, you're still absolutely fine. The EFF's bottom base hasn't really shifted. The folks who are hardcore, I believe in Malema and what he's trying to do, whether or not they understand the issues, that hasn't shifted. The question is, can they pick up a few more of the intellectuals and those who might choose to stay away because I'm not really that bothered? That's where the shift will happen. The base on each side is very clear. The ANC has got its base, the DA has got its base, the EFF has got its base. Can you do more? Can you appeal beyond that mm -hmm. central base? And that's the challenge that they've got to take on. Let, let's then talk about, um, in fact, I want to, I want to talk about uh, the leadership of, of Ramaphosa specifically. But yeah. maybe just, let's just hold that for a moment because mm -hmm. I want to get some calls as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And Zuzo on the line, he's from the Claremont. You're on the air. Welcome to the show. And Zuzo, hello. You're on the air. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Go ahead. Yeah. I also want to talk about the leadership of Mr. Ramaphosa as well. Go, that, go ahead. Uh, mm. Since uh, the resignation of Mr. Kikawa, then I think the, the evacuation of uh, corrupt ministers uh, after Mr. Kikawa, because they have this commission of inquiry into state capture has uh, disclosed some information which us 
as the citizens of South Africa have not uh, known for a long period of time because this state capture started long before uh, 1994, even in the Mandela or the new democracy uh, in 1994 election. There were those uh, who uh, lose the state, but uh, implicitly, you get my point. Okay, got that. Let's, in fact, uh, Faith, respond to those. See, one would only hope that Gigaba's resignation triggers some type of a domino effect and the rest come along. But again, politicians aren't really known for letting go and, and just taking their hands off the, off, off the reins of power. Yes, yeah, state capture is not a new thing, but it hasn't always been defined as state capture. It's always been defined as working together, you know, and allowing all kinds of voices or, you know, diverse voices into government. Mm-hmm. But particularly, I think it's very concerning at the moment because folks are now beginning to realize that what, what their stake in government is, is very important beyond who's in power. And the reason state capture became quite difficult for people is because we couldn't look at anything else. There was nothing else really giving you any type of inspiration or something to believe in. And the fall of Zuma's government really emboldened the average citizens to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with Ramaphosa coming into office, I think the first belief is that as someone with such an economic background and such a strong base, he could galvanize people and get us going again. It's looked kind of slow, you know, even almost a stagnation towards a decline. Like, have, have we made much progress? tangibly with Ramaphosa being in but, but office. Is it not because people expect too much? Because of course. Like, like one person alone can't damage a country. Exactly. One person alone also can't build a country. Yeah. Isn't it? The, the, the systems of governance haven't changed. The cabals around government haven't changed. Mm-hmm. But it's not unfounded for people to have come in very excited that with someone of his background, with someone with such a business mind, certainly within three to six months, things have to turn around. You know, is that too much to ask? Not necessarily, but you have to temper that with knowledge. I think what's lacking... But six months in politics is like a 100-meter race, isn't it? It is. It's not enough time because you have to learn the ropes. Mm. But again, he's not a neophyte in government. He's been around for a while. Mm. So the expectation is, it's not so much about how quickly you turn things around. It's how quickly you communicate a clear vision such that people can come along with you and say, I have a sense where we are going. I have a sense how long it might take us. I have a sense how patient to be but there's been very little communication of a policy approach from the governors that says here is where we are going here is what a two-year journey might look like Mm -hmm. you've got elections coming up next year and there's still no clear difference between a a zuma president and a ramaphosa president that's very very true and that's the challenge can you communicate a vision to us so that we have a sense what we're walking towards. Well, we're moving to the holidays. I think after the holidays, it's full scale ahead. Election uh, ahead of the elections, right? Yeah. Felix from Nelspruit, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. Go ahead. I think where we are all stuck, where we are all getting it wrong, is for us to think that truth can be partial, can be half, or can can be uh, split somehow. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is this. If, if you ask me, how much do you have in your account? And I tell you I have 99 rand in my account. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I have 100 rand in my account. And you later discover that it's a lie. I cannot come back and tell you, but actually I'm 99% correct. I'm either only correct or I'm not correct. And that's where the problem is. Politics can never solve our problem. 
Political parties are just partial. They divide us. They, that is the only way they can operate. Now, for us to really de- develop as humanity, we have to get rid of politics whole, wholly and whole completely. Politics or yeah, politicians? Are <laughs> you saying we should get rid of politics or politicians? Yes. No, politics generally. There must never be politics in our lives. And replace it with what? Hospital, you do not say, I want a doctor with an ANC to treat me. When you want to fly in a plane, you don't say, I want a, a, a pilot who is ESS to fly the plane for me. You don't put politics in anything. Now, why do we put politics in people who are supposed to run our state? Why can't we just have a panel who is going to interview somebody who is going to be a president? You can apply. Anybody can okay. apply. Well, we do uh, all right. Let, let's, all let's, pause, uh, let's pause on that because I want to get a response. Thanks for that call, Felix, from Nell Spritz. So, so we're talking about concepts of leadership of, yeah. of how uh, civil society is being structured and he's suggesting do away with politics interesting one we, we did not create the current version of politics we have i think from time immemorial humanity has to organize itself in systems so what we don't like is the output of our current version of politics but there's mm. got to be some sum of order so while we cannot do with politics the question that each citizen has got to ask is what are you comfortable with and what are you not comfortable with? We will always have political leadership, and that's not going to change. I think the key question here is, what are the options to ensure that the specific output we're looking for through politics is still achieved? The point of political organization is to ensure that we regulate the input and output from society. Input is paying taxes properly, mm-hmm. ensuring that everyone has a space to operate within systems. Can you access ed- education, ETC? The output is can every citizen benefit from, in some sort from what exists. So the challenge for the average citizen is within the fact, within the political system that exists, there will be elections, there will be appointments, there will be parliament doing its, its business. Are you satisfied with the version that we are seeing today or what might it look like differently? Unless you're clear what it might look like, you keep doing the exact same thing. We are, are going to vote next year. And you're going to vote one way or the other. Okay. Or choose I, not I to want vote. to talk about uh, leadership on the African continent besides South Africa. But just quick one, Malusi Kigaba, what, what's your understanding? I mean, you heard me preface some remarks mm-hmm. up front. What's your understanding of, of what does it mean symbolically? Symbolically, it's a blow for the youth voice entering into politics because his presence in politics has perhaps given hope to younger entrants into politics thinking it's not unthinkable that one of us could access power. Uh, symbolically as well, it's a sign that it's possible to resign or be forced to resign from, from, from government roles and the world is going to move on. It's still very, very early. I think Ugaba is a very intelligent human being, but as a politician, he's been extremely flawed. And it should embolden people to think that it's, you, can't, you don't just retain power for that long if you're not appealing you know, to a central base of people who believe you know how to do your job. So while he's intelligent and he's exciting for politics, for governance, maybe not so much. You know, he's tended to just court controversy in both ministries mm-hmm. that he spent time and as an MP as well. So he's a little bit playing on the, on the wild side as, as, a, right. as a government <laughs> official. So uh, I think it's good for the country to have a bit of a breath of fresh air post to this. Who has a clue who is going to replace him? So I'm not unhappy. That well, at the moment, <laughs> it's the blade, okay? Uh, how long that will last, we shall see. Uh, let's get to more calls here. Ismail's in line from Durban. Ismail, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. I'm interested in to the Ramaphoria thing then, but I wonder if I can ask the person to the gentleman, how is Ramaphosa going to 
gains the support in Durban, uh, like in KZN, given that you can see that there is a bit of tension in KZN, because it seems like most of the people, they are not into the uh, Ramaphosa main faction. Yeah, um, because of the Zuma thing, you know. So I wonder how we really gonna convince all the voters so that you can get maybe about sixty percent mm. uh, the support. Okay, know, let's get a response. It's something we've touched on already, but mm. but fine. Just thank you for that call. Quick response on that. Uh, the, the point is, like I mentioned, all politics is local, mm. right? And if Ramaphosa is not as welcome as Zuma in KZN, you know that exists. That's not gonna go away. What he's got to do differently if his handlers are going to be paying attention, like I mentioned, is to communicate. You know, when you're in government, one of the biggest weaknesses is your failure to over-communicate. And I see that playing itself, and you, you were tipping on, you know, politics across the continent. This is the same everywhere mm, you go. Mm, mm. The moment you enter into governance, you get almost shrouded and clouded by everything around you. And you forget that there are folks back home whose one, two, three, four, five votes carry that much power. In case that any Ramaphosa is not known or recognized or understood, he's got a battle on his hands. The question is, who's going to take KZN? And unless any of the other political parties begins to make statements that speak towards the KZN, no one is going to, it's still going to be the ANC. You know, by the way, you're still voting the ANC and then Ramaphosa, Mm, you know, gets mm, back in office. mm, So it's mm. not as much Ramaphosa as the ANC. So while Ramaphosa himself might not be the face of the ANC in KZN, you have foot soldiers who step in and do the job anyway. And if they don't, and, and if they, they don't, will, they, will they, they, they will lose. Okay. You know? So it's, it's a, about a communication of a clear vision. There's uh, further thoughts. Kay saying the, to the viewpoint, Africa has all leaders in power, mainly for decades. How can the younger and more dynamic leaders be voted in? We lost Mr. Gigaba, young, mm. dynamic leader. Point just made, Kay. There we are. Mm. Uh, Paul saying we need a professional, non-political, non-racist civil bureaucracy to run the country. Can that ever happen? So Paul and Felix needs to have a chat with each other. We need a, a professional, <laughs> non-political, non-racist civil bureaucracy. It's idealistic. It's it's possible, but it's very idealistic. Uh, everyone who's come from outside mainstream politics has had to play politics to get into politics. Right? There are structures. The problem for non-political figures is recognition. It's not that they don't exist. Every now and then you have extremely smart people who want to evade the political structures and have their point made, they don't get through because there's no recognition. Just ask Ahang, you say. You have to play politics to come into politics. So it's very idealistic to expect that very smart, intelligent, non-political, non-racial, non-sexist will eventually get a chance to lead. You you have to do something else. You have to play the game. Okay, there's uh, more. John, uh, go ahead. Hi, John. Hi, good evening. You know, just to comment on your on your guest speaker's comment that he said the removal of Chikaba is a blow to the youth and, uh, you know, that it will stand as an example to them that they could access power and his removal actually denies that. You know, I'm, I'm quite amazed at that comment because I don't think the youth are stupid enough to associate themselves with somebody of the intellect and acumen of uh, Chigawa. I mean, the video that he put that went viral, I mean, that alone speaks for itself. His actions as a minister in the various portfolios, that speaks for itself. The man was totally incompetent. Okay, but but wait, John, let, let me just interject. I, I don't think at any stage Faith suggested 
that the in fact he, he said he's got some serious shortcomings he's talking about yeah. the principle of the fact that someone like him in an, in an ideal world should have achieved far more the fact that someone like him has had to step down is is a reflection of his absolute weaknesses mm. and that's a blow to young south africans that's the point John? well the point is you know you say it's a blow to, i don't i don't see it as being a blow to young south africans young, young, young south africans will aspire the honest ones and they'll make it to the top, and Jigaba will never in any way influence uh, their thinking or in any way disappoint them whatsoever. In fact, if anything, what he will stand out is as a role model in terms of what not to do. Okay. If you want to do something incompetently, stupidly, he will be the role model to which we will. All right, but the, but the reality is, the reality is that could be that could also be consistent with many older people too, and there are many examples of that, right? Correct. I'm not saying because he was young and, you know, he did this. I'm saying as a personality, I'll just talk about a state capture. You know, when when we say state capture, it creates the impression that you have a whole lot of innocent and honest people sitting around. Somebody comes, captures them, converts them, corrupts them, and makes them into dishonest people. That Let's put that perception to rest once and for all. Those people that were... Uh, uh, got involved in state capture, allowed themselves to be captured, and eventually were dishonest, were inherently dishonest people. That's the long and short of the story. Let's not make excuses okay. for them. So whoever came along and offered them the right price, they would have went along with Okay, them. got right. that, John. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, For that call. You want to just uh, <laughs> add on to the back of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, see... I don't think it's fair to say that Gigaba was a role model for every young person in South Africa. Clearly, he wasn't. It's also a little bit naive to say that the youth of South Africa won homogeneous population. Mm. As much as he's disliked on Twitter, he's got a political base as well, which is made up of the youth. You know, So the youth aren't one thing. They're all kinds of youth. And the point is that it's hard to expect that you can find more people who look like you in government when one person who looks like you is out of government. So it, it, mm, mm, character mm. aside and competence aside, there is just the representation and the presence. So I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. Many young people aren't fans, but it doesn't take away the fact that someone who, doesn't, who looks like you is out of government. State capture itself is it's the point of collusion. Right. Again, it didn't happen overnight, clearly. This is not as if someone came with a gun and a, and, a, and a bazooka and took people out. It's the fact that from time immemorial, business and politics have always gone hand in hand. The question is, how much do people know? This is one of a few times in which people are getting a bit of an insight into just how much business and politics are intermarried. And we're completely shocked. Surprise, this well, is the norm. Yeah. This <laughs> is the norm. It's not a, it's not a pretty norm. But it is the norm. Business okay. and politics go more, far too hand in More hand. to come from Faith Abiyodin, who is the executive director of a organization called Future Africa. But also, uh, he is the director of International Relations Council, that is, at the African Leadership Academy, which uh, effectively is a school, um, sort of, you know, university college for uh, for people from all around the African continent and a very impressive organization. We've asked for voice notes. I said, don't go more than 30 seconds, please. 0614-104-107. Here's one. Hi, Ashraf and Josie. I just want to ask your guest, would a logical income taxpayer vote for EFF? I mean, we see how they shoved free education for the youth in our throats and thus vetted to increase. They've created a culture that because you are black or you are poor, you are thus entitled to freebies. And that is paid by income from taxpayers who are living on debt. So would 
and income tax paying citizens support this party. Okay, well, there we are. Would a logical taxpayer Mm -hmm. support the EFF? Two years ago, maybe no. And my point there was that it was hard to have a sense of what their policy proposals might be about, first of all, getting the economy fully running, and secondly, giving the average South African citizen a path towards playing a a profitable role in, in, in society. When things are really, really bad you almost have to play as bad to have a voice. And then hopefully when you have a voice, you begin to communicate exactly what the point of your voice was. Mm-hmm. The EFF played the game that had to be played two, three years ago to have a stake such that we're talking about them today. When the EFF started, it was Malema and his goons. But now the EFF is moving far from the left or from the right into more of a bit of a central position such that I mentioned we're beginning to have a clue what their approach to governance might be. We still don't know. We know Comrade Malema and his citizens. But if they're smart, we might begin to have a sense of what President Malema might look like. So the average person might still not like the apparent indecency of their approach to governance. But if you listen carefully, the reason we're speaking about land today is because of the EFF, yeah, that's no one point. else. Okay, let's let's move on then to things completely differently. I, I want to first just get a sense from you um, regarding the African Leadership Academy that you're involved in. And I say yeah. that because at the, um, the what is it called, the Common, common Action Forum, Forum, right? Yeah. Uh, you made the point that of all the things we learn, we learn how to use our computers and our mobile phones and drive cars. Yeah. There's not enough learning, actual learning, on creating leadership. Yeah. Explain that. You know, it's a, it's a conundrum across the world that we take some things as given and we take some things as earned. You think about the emergence of more female leaders on the continent today as being earned very, very gradually. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a given that there will be more female leaders on the continent. You look at the emergence of more science and technology and math leaders on the continent and you think about it as earned Mm. gradually because the world is asking for it and pushing for it. We are seeing more investment and more more media attention and more competitions around can we have more scientists because we need that. Same with climate. You're seeing more climate attention. It's not given that the world is going to be stable, but it's almost a given that the world will have leaders. Mm. It's just like don't give too much thought to it. There will be leaders. Surprise, no, they will not just be leaders or good ones. And so the need to deliberately create a generation of people who have the right ethos, the right mindset, and the approach to solve problems beyond a local scale, to think Pan-African, to think ethically, that is what the foundation was for African Leadership Academy. No matter where you go across Africa, Mm -hmm. I say this all the time, the one challenge that unites all Africans and even all citizens across the world is not poor education or poor health care or poor infrastructure. It's poor leadership. Every citizen across the world just complains about the kinds of leaders we have. Okay, so, so the African Leadership Academy then, does it train the type of leadership the continent needs? And, and I'll just say this for, for those who don't know it, mm. um, not just at the academy, even mm. off campus I've engaged mm. with students mm. um, and Goodness, they, they represent the length and breadth of this continent from Kanda, from mm. Kenya to Uganda to mm. Morocco to Tunisia mm. to, to Egypt to Cameroon. It, it's, it's, it's what you want to see. Yeah. My point is, is that working in terms of delivering the type of leadership in their own countries from, from these students? It's a social experiment. It's one that I buy into because I desperately want to see it come to life. 
I believe that if this academy delivers on its mandate, which is to find young people who are shown incredible potential without support, without exposure, without mentoring, if we find them and we enable them to learn a couple of things, how to work together across the continent, across all kinds of lines, if we enable them to think about how to solve problems, and we're able to think about the proper value systems that drive proper leadership, a sense of excellence, curiosity, compassion, diversity, humility. If you put all these things together and then you release them back in a society, what could the answers be? The answers are quite clear now. Mm. We're now in the 11th year of this experiment. And we've seen almost a thousand people come through the network. They are right now getting into politics in Liberia, in Sierra Leone, in Kenya, in Cameroon. You're seeing them now taking on roles in the public sector. They're in the private sector. About a third of our graduates are now working in education and in healthcare. And so you're seeing the results of people who have been trained differently, who have been infused with a different mindset and an approach to problem solving. Now and they, and they have a desire, to, they have this desire to, to play a leading role in their countries? They know that this is why they were selected. The academy only admits 5% of those who apply to it every single year. And so on a daily basis, they're being reminded and they're aware that they were picked for a purpose. And they're being developed as catalysts to go back into society and make a difference. And so one of the big inputs or, or outputs of the academy that you will see is that every single year, like students at the academy go back to the countries and begin to teach their peers in more than 100 different camps across Africa what they've been learning. So there is that sense of I was called for a purpose. I'm not just a regular high school kid. I have a role to play. And seeing a 27-year-old running for Senate in Kenya, and seen a 28-year-old wow. becoming uh, the ambas ambassador in Mali from ALA and seen enough of our graduates right now in Botswana, in Zimbabwe, in South Sudan, uh, in, 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 in Ethiopia who are running their own education institutions under the age of 30 because they're desperate to be going to play that role back into society. Well, that, that's wonderful news. What, what about South Africans? Are there other South Africans... Uh, attending uh, and, and again at a very young age come back and already gotten into politics or civil society and made an impact? Politics starting, civil society, yes. About 10% of the academy's graduates are South African. And so there is a sense that this is home for ALA and this is the space that has brought all of Africa to learn and to study. So very, very glad to be at home here in South Africa. Mm. But we're looking for South Africans with incredible potential who are aware of the role they want to play and humble enough to go and learn how it is done. My big challenge is that too many young South Africans think they have a clue how to do it. Well, mm -hmm. humble yourself and find out how to do it and then join those who are already doing it in different parts of the continent and work together to make a difference. Well, that's a very, very important challenge. More to come. Uh, and, and if you're going to call in now, we can take some calls, but we're moving away from Ramaphosa and Gigaba, and we're moving into just African leadership throughout the continent. So not South Africa. Maybe time for two, three calls if it's not South Africa. If you can do that, that'll be great. 891 WhatsApp voice notes, 30 seconds max, 614 Let me just remind you, uh, you may have heard about M Amnesty International following the lead from, from Canada, which is stripping um, uh, an accolade a, uh, to, to the leader of uh, Myanmar, Tokyo Aung San Suu Kyi, and they did that yesterday. We'll actually talk about that just now with uh, Shanila Mohammed, who is the Executive Director of Amnesty International South Africa, and Buyani Zwani from Breakthrough Development. We'll talk about just fallen leadership, which I think is very, very topical, and you may want to certainly listen to that, right? So let, let's then... 
one of the things that, that came through um, at the Common Action Forum with uh, Wada Hanfar, who's the, who's the chairperson, and he's the man who set up uh, Al Jazeera International, and is the English version, right? He, he said something like, that the time is ripe for, if, you know, capitalism is not working, and we need something. Now, in the past, it was capitalism versus socialism versus communism. Some people talk about a hybrid somewhere in between that. I don't really know. Uh, is there something? Because he put out a challenge. He didn't come up with solutions, right? Yeah. Should we be looking for a new, uh, new political system and a new economic system in the world? It's hard to think about what the appropriate blend of all these things will be. Mm-hmm. I think what people are trying to achieve at the center of all the systems is equality for all and equal participation in mm-hmm. the systems that govern their lives. The weakness of capitalism is that it very, very quickly separates the rich from the poor. And the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the poor have no clue how to become a little bit rich. Is there a middle ground in capitalism that allows everyone to have a voice? Socialism looks the closest to that. And, you know, is there possible, is, is there a way to get the resources of government share equally for everyone? And, you know, you're putting what you can to get the best that you can. No one has a clue what it's going to look like differently. And politics and business going together, being both, you know, capitalist is the big challenge we've got today. I think what we've got to be looking for is a system of governance that allows equal participation for everyone and allows a path to economic self-sufficiency for every individual. You don't have to become very rich in society. You don't have to become as rich as the richest in society. Mm-hmm. You just need a path but, to but, self-sustainability. But if we say the path, then then we're not, then by your definition earlier, we're not talking capitalism because that's going to very quickly separate people and then you move your own path. So, Cap- capitalism equally says that everyone in society can get wealthy enough by hard work. All you need is to pursue a path of education or pursue a path of trade and you can get there. If you work hard enough, you can get there. It's not delivering enough of its promise and that's not necessarily a failure of capitalism. Capitalism says you get in as much as you put in, right? And those who have more resources by default to put in are getting more out of it. Now, the, part, the question is, and what's it going to rich get richer? Be, the because they've always poor. had a leg up. Now, the question is, is there a socialist blend that allows the average person who's heritage whose parents and grandparents never had enough to put in on their behalf is there a path for them to get in the truth is yes they've always been people whose parents never had anything and they've found a way by stroke of hard luck and hard work to get it or good luck and hard work rather so the question is what's the story for someone in soweto in zanspret who has never had grandparents who went to st stephen's or st john's mm. and now what kind of education can they access and how can they afford it that's the agitation in the country today you know, and the goal is for the political systems that we have to begin to deliver that. By being, if, if the current government and every successive government delivers on the campaign promises they make, which is always you will have a path to education, you will have a path to employment. It's not unthinkable. Business and politics have to work together for the common good. So the problem, in my opinion, is not capitalism. It's greed. The moment you campaign on a promise and you fail to deliver on that promise and you misuse the resources, then capitalism becomes a bad guy. Okay. But he wasn't a bad guy in the first place. Is, is there a country that, that has got this blend right? Scandinavia and Europe. So all the Scandinavian countries? Most of them. Mm-hmm. You talk in Norway, you talk Hungary, you talk Sweden, you talk Finland. A few things are common across these countries. It's a stable population size. 
it's a little bit difficult to talk about because we're speaking in a continent in which having children is a sign of wealth. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at countries as well that have had very, very stable populations for a long time. Therefore, the government's challenge every single year is not how to educate for the 5 million new kids who have just been born because the population size stays fairly stable. Each family has one or two kids. So you know that there will be X number of children coming into school every single year. Your challenge is how do you improve the quality of school? Mm, mm, mm. Not, we were able to educate 2 million kids last year. Now the number is 5 million. What do we do? We have to move these kids through the system so the next kids can come through. There are X number of hospitals in the country. It can take care of X number of people. All of a sudden you have population explosion. You've got 7 million new people in healthcare. You can't build enough hospitals to get to population growth. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, so yeah. you've, you've got to find a way to stabilize the, the social system so that politics and business can deliver for those it's looking after. Really interesting sharing, getting these insights from Faith Abiyodin, who's uh, tonight's uh, big hit. So let's get, let's get some calls. So not talking about Gigaba and, and Ramaphosa, because we've done that already. We're talking about just overall African or even global leadership. That's absolutely fine. I'm just checking with uh, Tapella whether we've got a call. I think we, we do. In fact, we'll do that right after this. Online, offline, above the line, it's all about the bottom line. Fast track, drive results, it's mandatory. Leadership, membership, partnership, who is steering the ship? I don't know. Let's escalate this. If your business speak is more fluff than cutting edge, it's time to up your game with a postgraduate diploma with UNISA's Graduate School of Business Leadership. It's the perfect cap to your degree and paves the way to an MBA or MBL. Applications close on the 30th of November. Visit the UNISA SBL website to apply. At SAFM Radio and at Ashraf Gada on Twitter. More to come with uh, Faith Abiyodin for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Let's get some calls. Uh, Salo on the line, uh, Mokopani, you're on the air. Go ahead, Salo. Hi. Uh, thanks, Ashraf. Look, uh, I think you have a very intelligent guy there, and he's, uh, he sounds so young. I do hope that he continue to do what he's doing now. Ashraf. Yep. He talked about the grid that our leaders in general has. That's the big one. That's correct. These guys, when they are in power, they become so greed and arrogant about the resources and the power that the people have given to them. So if they can try to, uh, if they can try to uh, minimize the greed and, 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 and look after the people that elected them to be there, and lastly, what do you think, Martin the guest, why, why do you think the um, African leaders, president and whatnot, they are afraid to tell each other the truth when it matters the most? For example, um, Robert Mugabe, um, uh, Kabila, the young guy, and, and, and Gaddafi. When things go wrong, in their country, you will find out the African leaders, they support them. But instead of saying, hey, hey, young man, or oh, my brother, now you are losing it. Why is that? Okay, let's Thanks get an answer. Thank you for that call. Mm. Uh, go ahead, Faith. See, see the, the first challenge is that politics in Africa is way too lucrative. It's way too lucrative. It's way too exciting. We, greed is a problem because... When you can, what you see from a distance excites you so much. What does the life of a president or a politician look like? Endless trips across the world, fat salaries, huge houses, extreme power. The desire of an average person looking 
from the outside in is, can I get a bit of that? Mm. It looks way too lucrative. Therefore, the desire to look at the common man and think about how to help him solve their challenges, it blurs once you get close to governance. Now, what's it going to take for an African leader to call another one out? What is most missing? Credibility. How do you call someone else out when you are deeply stained yourself? All the names you mentioned, Kabila, mm, mm, Mugabe, mm. which of them has the clout or the innocence to call someone else out? Look at Paul Bia in Cameroon today. Absolute disaster of a president, right? Citizens are dying left and right. But which African president, left or right of him, has got the credibility to call him out? Okay. Because they've all come in in fairly similar ways. Now, the difference is the one or two people who might look neutral and able to speak are dealing with such deep domestic challenges that their, their leadership on the continent is missing. I would actually be expecting more from a Ramaphosa on a continental leadership point of view. I'll be expecting more of a voice. But, but maybe it's early days now. It's he, early days. You know, he's also got to play his cards fairly fairly. Is there, is there, is there an African leader who, who's a beacon of hope and light? You know, Paul Kagame looks close to it mm-hmm. because he's spoken, you know, very much about an economic path and his country has begun to take a stand against the West in, in looking strong. But he's equally been dogged by huge human rights concerns. And that came you up know, at the conference as yes, well. That you very, speak out against the issues in one very, same old problem. Very yeah. huge human rights concerns. So there is hardly one African president who doesn't have huge baggage behind them. So it's 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 the nature of our politics on the continent at the moment that we are still seeing the vestiges of colonialism. And the guys who are in power were largely you know, anti-colonialism fighters. There were people who came to power on the back of winning our independence. Okay. Another Incredibly, generation will be fine. We've got four minutes to go. There's like three, four calls. Everybody wants to talk to you now. They're all very complimentary by and large. Uh, so if I come on with you guys, just one point for 30 seconds. But let me just, this, this is an important one. Uh, Patrick Lumumba, mm-hmm. the Kenyan, yes. right? Uh, who I, I can't stop listening to. Yes. I'm just saying. <laughs> he, he made the point the other day, well, maybe it's an old recording of his, mm. that, that corruption is a crime against humanity mm. and needs to be seen as that and yeah. suggested that corruption has cost Africa more lives yeah. than, uh, than than civil wars. Yeah. And he doesn't understand why we don't quite get that. That means it's an absolute war yeah. across the continent. Your thoughts on that? I agree with him. What corruption does is to rob ordinary people of the commonwealth. When you take what belongs to me or what belongs to us and you make it belong to you, You've robbed me, not just of my today, potentially of my tomorrow. It's a human right violation, and it should be treated as such. The question is, who's going to hold us to account? Well, as, as you've made the point already. Okay, there's three calls. I'll take you guys in one go. Please make it just 30 seconds each. We simply don't have enough time, okay? Uh, Colin, go ahead first up. Hi. Hi, Ashra. I'm just going to say, I hope your guest comes back on again, because it's, it's fascinating listening to him. He just spoke about the Scandinavian countries. Mm-hmm. And you know, population, population control will help South Africa. Okay, well, we will bring him back. Absolutely. Thank I, you. Thank okay. you very much, Thank, you. Thank you for that, uh, Colin. Right. Uh, Gaelit, I hope I've got that pronounced correctly, from Durban. You're, you're on the air. Khalid, I think it is. Right. Go ahead. Hello. You're on the air. Uh, uh, hi, hi. Uh, you get to talk about population control uh, on South Africa. Just uh, two quick points. What is his view on communalism instead of capitalism and uh, communism for economic paradigm? And which paradigm does he think will merge with the current growing uh, environmental concerns 
Uh, the outlined by the recent IPCC and okay. WWF. Got that. Thank, thank you for that, uh, Khalid. I think it is right. And the last call I can take in, Kossi Nati from Bloomington. You're on the air. Hello. How are you, Ashraf? I'm good indeed, right? Go ahead. Your viewpoint? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Ashraf, I just want to say to the caller, um, I'm a product of Nelson Mandela, and I was born in South Africa in Bloomington where the ANC was born. I just want to say to the caller that, caller, I mean, the guest, sorry, sorry, mm. sorry. Um, I was born in South Africa, and I am a product of Nelson Mandela. But I just want to say, honestly speaking, what does the caller say? Oh, no, the guest. I I keep calling him the the caller. Okay, you you need to move, please, man. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The guest say about all of our streets being invaded by foreign foreign businessmen and our government not being honest about policy. Okay, that's that's South Africa. One of the foreigners is Faith Abiodun himself, by the way. Just (laughs) thought I'll make that point, okay? Just quick thought on that. Uh, You know, people moving around uh, the continent and the world. it's, It's one of the things Mandela fought for. Mm-hmm. The fact that South Africa is a country that welcomes people and allows everyone to have a space to say, you know, South Africa, Mandela did not want us to separate anyone by who they are. The people who are coming to this country are coming because they believe in the potential and the promise of this country. It's a space, it's a chance for us to think about working together. And you would see in America that anti-immigrant rhetoric doesn't advance, you know, progress in any society. Mm-hmm. So my ask to people who are concerned about foreigners is be aware that we either sink together or we rise together. They're not coming Good here point. because it's peaceful back home for them. They're coming here because they want a chance at life and they want a to point work together. That, that uh, former Ambassador Mohammed Dengo made mm. about the European immigrants just after the Second World War, they packed up and ran because yeah. they were scared in their own country. And that's why it people was moved hot from, back say, home. North yeah. or West Africa to mm. Europe. Uh, we'll talk to, in fact, Mohammed Dango maybe sometime next week. Mm. Uh, right, you've got a min- minute. I want to know about Future Africa. Tell me about that. Future Africa is my approach to think about what it might look like to have a different brand of politics. And I'm wondering what it's going to take for intelligent, vibrant, young people to approach politics. Three things have to be done, in my opinion. People have to be educated about the issues. Way too many of us are curious about the issues, but we don't know enough about what it's going to take. So my first approach through Future Africa is, can we help people understand what governance looks like from the inside? The second approach is to think about governance as less of them versus us and more of a chance to work together because they're out there representing us in, ideal, you know, in an ideal world. The question is, how can people cooperate and collaborate with government to achieve the objectives we have? The third thing is a chance to begin a prototype from the private sector and the civil sector what policy-based solutions to challenges might look like. So I'm here as a private citizen trying to walk through the civil society. What might it take to have a different brand of education that meets the country's development needs? I need to prototype that from the outside rather than criticize the guys on the inside for not doing it right. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to follow that. Anything else you want to say? You got I just seconds? want to say it's, I, I love this country. I love the potential and promise of South Africa. And I want to find a chance to always work with people in this country to achieve our predictions. Okay, and as per Colin's suggestion, you will be back. Well, the invitations, there, there you are. Uh, Faith Abiyod. And by the way, Faith, feel free to tweet some of the links uh, to uh, African Leadership Academy mm-hmm. as well as Future Africa, Facebook, Twitter. I will certainly share it, hashtag SFM Viewpoint, and maybe further thoughts that you haven't quite got to. Faith Abiyod. And hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. We're going to talk about Aung San Suu Kyi. So there you are. A hero? Maybe not, in the light of what's just happened to her right now. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's get the news. It's 9 o'clock.